2: When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money. But it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head.
0: You remember that time you were
2: singing in the shower? And then you heard a knock on the wall? And then you realized that your bathroom shared a wall with your neighbor's bedroom? And all you could do was stand there silently, thinking about all the other things they may have heard in the four years you've lived there?
0: (sighs) Ah, yeah. Good times.
2: Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations.
1: Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I am your host or your co-host, Rob Vera, joined by my other co-host, Mark Mosey. And this week we... Hail the return of our conquering rum king himself, the Mm -hmm. great Mike Diatra. Mike, um, I got to say, man, uh, we're at the point in the Everton season where most of your input to our group chat is now dominated by what you're drinking and how it's rum and what (laughs) fancy glasses that you have acquired to drink said rum. And I, I feel like, uh, I feel like a, um, something about your love of rum speaks to me as a Puerto Rican on some level and makes me just love you even more. Uh, and B, I am curious as to whether you are going primarily with a straight rum or if you are incorporating soda into the mix. Uh, when I say soda, I guess I mean like Coke or I think you mentioned caffeine-free Coke, which I don't totally understand the point of. But, you know, those sorts of things. Mike, tell us about your rum choice today because I assume that's what you're drinking right now.
0: I am drinking rum. I'm a, I'm a rum person now, a rum person is what I am, and I think I'll be a rum person for a while to come. Um, yeah. Today, it's the standard crack and rum, spiced rum, obviously, because is there any other kind? No. And <laughs> a nice little um, Coke Zero, because I had no caffeine-free Coke, unfortunately. Caffeine-free Coke is a game-changer. You can actually drink an absolute bucket load of spirits with mixers and not be off your tits when you try and sleep later on. It's yeah.
1: Pretty- Yeah, I always wondered, like, what what was the use case for caffeine-free, whether it was Coke or Pepsi or whatever, and I'd never really considered that, Mike. That's actually a really good point because Mm -hmm. there's – I would also say that the downfall for me over the years, whenever I would mix um, rum with Coke, for instance, is that kind of that, that eternal battle inside of your body when you have both an upper and a downer coming in at the same time, you know, you're drinking uh, alcohol and you're drinking caffeine. And it just, it always made me feel really weird. This way you get all the tastes with, with, uh, without the, uh, without well, at least without the consequences of soda, I guess you're still... I guess your liver feels differently about the other consequences, but, you know, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. Mark, how's it, how are things at the pharmacy store today, Mark? Yeah,
2: um, when when you mention about pharmacies and Easter, th- those two things don't generally blend quite well together. Um, I don't know if it's like this over in the U.S., Rob, but if any public services close for more than 24 hours in a continual period... Our entire country collapses in a state of panic um, to the point where we all start drinking rum in the middle of the day because that's that's just how we react to crisis over here. But yeah, not too bad. Um, all of this, I mean, we've had a really weird thing over here this week. Um, it's due to last for about five or six days. Um, it's called the sun. Uh, I've, I've never never really experienced it for a long periods of time, but um yeah lots of merriment over here people are gradually becoming a bit more happier and being able to go outdoors um drinking in groups of six drinking alone all of these things are becoming more and more part of our our daily lives uh, and i think we can all agree that spice rum is the spirit of elite human beings um it mm. in that I've sampled way too much of this week. Uh, Rob, you are now our resident Blue Room booze hound because I think last time we did a show, you were going out for uh, St. Patrick's Night. Uh, You're going out again today, Rob, for for post-work drinks. And I mean, I I think it's Wednesday. I, I like to think that if we have had any form of influence over your life in recent years, yes, Everton are nice at times, but... I think fueling you with a passion for alcohol is something that your British friends are are very, very proud of.
1: (laughs) Well, as I've said several times in in this particular forum, um, there are... You know how people will say they'll do something dumb on Twitter, they'll compare two players, and then they'll say levels or some shit like that? Like, look, you guys are professional veteran drinkers. I am merely a occasional, I'm like a mid tier amateur when it comes to drinking compared to you all. Um, Something that I respect quite a bit. And to your point, Mark, um, your, your ability to incorporate it into really any, Mm -hmm. you know, any social uh, or even non-social scenario is something that I, that I really like. You're alone? Well, we should drink. You're together? We should drink. Outside? Let's drink. Indoors? Let's drink. Everton won? Let's drink. (laughs) Everton lost? Let's drink. (laughs) And I'm not saying that there isn't obviously plenty of that here in America. I just, I know that at least in my friend group here, I am the, I don't know that I'm a lightweight, but I just, I, I go out to happy hour or something and I have Two or th- I have, I have like a drink and maybe a beer or two, and then I'm sort of done. Uh, maybe that's because I'm just old as fuck now, but but I think that's also because I was never a huge, huge drinker. But but whenever, and Mike knows this from from my visit, you know, this too, Mark. Like I come over with you guys, I'm suddenly drinking. Throughout the day, it's, it's very much like a trip to New Orleans where it's not so much about being drunk as it is about being pleasantly buzzed for an extended period throughout the day. And you guys really do kind of set the state, set the standard for the world. And and I I, I know that when you get sun, as you've talked about. <laughs> which I think, is, I think is is certainly as good an excuse as any. Uh, you, you have to drink a, a little bit to, to really celebrate uh, being alive. Uh, and uh, the fact that you get so little, sun seems to indicate to me that – that combined with the fact that they're easing some of these restrictions mean that um, you really shouldn't be seeing any sober days now for at least a few months. Uh, so you know, summertime is the time to uh, to invest in yourself and to do some self care by drinking.
2: Me, me and Mark Jones are going to uh, going to see a friend's uh, young baby who obviously had your own lockdown and, and haven't been able to to go around and and see the baby or the parents. I got to see the baby. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, apparently, yeah. Um, but the, the the very primary discussion that we had when we realised that this was going on between the six of us was who's bringing the beer. Um, and I think that that very much points to to your point, Robin, that we will use literally any excuse possible. Um, and I think that yeah, you know reference some of the some of the very public gatherings that people have had over this way, and uh, you guys will know Sefton Park very well, which apparently there's grass there couldn't really see any of the grass because there was that many people out um so yeah you, you mentioned the the lifting of restrictions rob it's 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 been very much eagerly anticipated and and with the sun very much jumped on um the one good thing about the sun i always think is that maybe james rodriguez won't leave uh, so every time i look out there and see some relatively nice weather, i think the the media narrative of of him Constantly seeking the warmest country to play his football, and may, may well be dying off. But yeah, it's um, it, it's a nice time. It's it's clearly a, a sort of a, a sense of happiness when the sun is out. But yeah, it's um, yeah. it's strange to, to think that Everton are probably going to start ruining that again because we've had this nice grace period where, I mean, international football has happened, and the World Cup is apparently a big thing. But it's um, it's hard to get really passionate and involved with at this stage when you see England wiping over teams like San Marino and and Holland beating Gibraltar 45-0 or whatever it finished. I don't know, but
1: it'll be, um, it'll be nice to get some some domestic action back next week. You know what's funny? I, I feel like I completely forget that both Gibraltar and San Marino are even places that exist on planet Earth until – england is playing a meaningless friendly against them yeah. um yeah i i never i never i i don't understand like i i kind of i was a big fan of the fact that um i guess it was uh Bowl or whatever the all the south american uh internationals were canceled uh, or postponed because they were like uh you know we're almost through this covid thing why 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 do this and I, I don't I I don't know I I don't fully get why any of these games mean anything right now but I guess maybe we're getting closer to Euros I guess they have to. Was it, that was a totally reasonable thing to good,
2: do. Bro. I mean, f- fancy banning international travel is an international travel ban. I mean, the the fact that we've been we've been sending nations to not even the right country where the game is. We instead of instead of just calling the game off, we've decided we're just gonna host random neutral venues. Every every single game of football at the moment tends to be in Budapest or Bucharest. I don't I don't yeah. know wh- why why we still insist on pushing normality through when clearly we're not in a very normal time. But yeah, Champions League, World Cup, anything that has a relatively high amount of FIFA's money orbiting in it is gonna go ahead. Um but yeah, very, very difficult for for me as a as a non international football fan to to
1: really engage with thoroughly, I would say. So, Mike, I, I referenced before that we are, at least for you, you are fully into rum mode in as it pertains to Everton's uh, season. Uh, you, you always seem to say, at least I'm, as long as I've known you, that once we're out of the Cups and it's really just kind of finishing off the season that you're, you begin to, I don't want to say completely disconnect, but you're not quite as as plugged in as you were. I wonder what you make of the theory that like there's this, it's weird because we haven't really played well lately. Obviously, we we lost the city and we're out of the cup, but there does seem to be this sort of undercurrent of I don't know if optimism is the right word, but Carlos seems to at least exude this idea that, you know, we're gonna we're gonna still we were still in a good position to get into Europe. And if you look at the table, sure, I guess mathematically we are. But I'm just wondering if this feels like every other run in where you're bored already, or if there is still slightly more intrigue this season, because unlike maybe the last few season, you know, last couple seasons, there is something at least a little more tangible or feasible to play for. I, I don't even know how much you're into this right now, Mike. And I don't blame you if you're not, because I've spent the last, what, like, I don't even know how long it's been since Everton played. Cause I haven't really thought about Everton much at all. I think last week on the pod, Mark, we didn't really, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about Everton. I think we we said the name Ben Godfrey once because, you know, that's required. So, oh, there we go, Matt, if you're listening. <laughs> ben Godfrey has been said. Yeah. Um, how are you feeling, Mike, about, like, does the does the rest of the season hold any intrigue for you at this point? Or are you just fully ready to get on with the summer and transfers and all of that shit?
0: Yeah, I've said goodbye to me socks now. And usually the point in the year at which I say goodbye mm-hmm. to me socks is the point at which Everton's season is over. And this year, for some reason, that's not the case. Um, I don't know. you, You talk about a wave of optimism. I'd describe it more as a wave of trying. Because usually, at this point of the season, Everton do not try. And that, I think, is the worst thing for a football fan. Don't get me wrong. We are not obligated for anything. We, by proxy, support football teams. You don't earn anything. But... People who pay money and go and watch it, you know, you want to see people trying. It's just the way it works. Yeah. Everton usually don't try when we get to this point. It's just you when it, when it gets sunny, Everton don't try because, you know, Everton's done, out of cups, probably not going to finish in the European places, won't go down. You know, let's um, just wind it down now. We've either got summer tournaments or summer holidays. I don't really fancy going on a summer holiday with a really sore hamstring, to be honest, fellas. So I'll just leave it for the next few weeks. But this yeah. year seems a little bit different which is nice. Um, so I've sort of taken that on board and I'm struggling to deal with it in some ways because part of me really doesn't want Everton back. I've really quite enjoyed the past week. I can't lie because the sun's coming out. We can go back outside. You know, like this part of me that loves that I can have a weekend that isn't filled with like just that stomach churning Everton, a playing feeling I don't I don't like I'm not used to that in the summer I, that's not something I am used to and I don't really like it I'd love to get used to it but right now I don't quite like it so I've sort of compromised with Everton and for as long as they try I will stay invested If they keep yeah. giving it absolute bifters and grant me the farmers cup this year I'll mm. be invested to hell and back because that's all I want. All I want is to be able to go next year yeah, to Estonia, Lithuania, Denmark, somewhere, right. anywhere, and just watch the Farmers League. I was talking about this the other day. And I was saying the only way that you should work out the draw for the Farmers League is you should get like a load of sheep, paint numbers on the side of the sheep, and get yeah. a sheepdog to head them into four separate pens, and there the drawers is the four pens. They're the groups. There you go. Done. I um,
1: mean, that beats the hell out of watching some old, you know, has been footballer from twenty something years ago pull a ball out of a, you know, out of a blower or whatever. Or out of, out of, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Let's can get, you imagine weird with it? Can you imagine who the
0: journeyman footballer would be? For the Farmers League introduction, you're not getting Pele because, like the Champions League, you're not mm-hmm. getting the step down of whoever it is for the Europa League. I don't bloody Berbatov or someone. I don't know who the next layer is of like
1: Farmers to- League. I want, I want like some, uh, some icon from medalist Kharkiv or something like that mm-hmm. to to come out there and do you know someone who doesn't speak English. Oh, yeah. You know, really getting into the Farmers League, by the way, I've been using Farmers League now a ton uh, over the last several weeks to describe and I'm pretty sure Mike's the one who said it first, but I, I'm really big on just referring to this. Secondary Europa, or I guess it would be third tier European competition is the Farmers League. And yet, and what's weird about it, guys, is like, there's a part of me now that I and I don't know if it's just because Farmers League has this ring to it, or, as Mike said, going to what name your weird Eastern Bloc country or whatever that you might end up in on a trip, but like, There's something about it that holds more intrigue and fun and maybe even less pressure than the Europa League. Like the Europa, like it's either Champions League, Farmers League, or I don't care. I don't know that I want to get into Europa at this point, but Mm. having said that, I'm sure I'll cave on that if we get into Europa. But Farmers League just sounds like a lot of fun. No pressure, lots of travel. I'm into it, Mark. I don't know how about you feel about going to Estonia anytime soon, but I've never been. I'd love to go.
2: Yeah, Tallinn's meant to be lovely. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's essentially the nation's league of domestic football, isn't it? I think it's just Ooh, I like that. We've come up with this this extra tournament just to make everyone you know, more and more teams feel lovely. I think I God knows where. I don't even. Do you have to finish like 14th in the Premier League to qualify for it? I honestly don't know, um, but yeah, I I would I would always be an advocate for Everton competing on any form of of European stage. Um, I, I I get where where you mentioned Rob in terms of his his you know Champions League. i will be, be quite ready to compete at that level, and, and people would debatably argue the same thing for Europa League as well. But uh, I think the manager kind of settles a lot of the nerves that i would have about everton embarrassing themselves on a continental stage in which we've we've seen in recent yeah. years when we have qualified um i also think that yes we know that he's here for the project in inverted commas or however long term he thinks that long term is to be at everton but i think once you've got a guy like him at the helm and and he is now achieving a relative level of stability in terms of how long he's been here uh, he, he, he demands to be at that level he demands to be at the highest possible level um, and yeah. I, I accept that he would probably be the first one to say that Everton aren't quite ready for for Champions League football and to, and to compete on that platform but there, there will become a time and we, we've met, mentioned this in recent shows and in recent weeks whereby the whole promise of what the new Everton could be and, and the whole project it, it has to at some point have some form of substance to it we have to at some point demand that higher level and say well we are going to go and perform in the Europa League or at the Champions League because we're just going to be the eternal pretenders of the Premier League otherwise we're always that team that goes out and spends anywhere between 30 and 60 million we always kind of look like that next team to break through but never actually manage it Um, so I think in terms of whatever the Europa farmers conference will will look like or i don't even know the format whether it's a, a group or is it is it just a straight knockout or is it just a big game of conquers i'm not sure but it's um hmm. it, it's something that i i definitely want to see everton well hopefully not be a part of because we're, we're definitely punching above that level but i i think it's yeah. it, it's it's a great thing to see everton on, on any form of european stage but I think the the one thing that's dominating my mind at the moment is how many shows were totally taken over on the back of Mike wearing no socks that time in the Radio City Tower. I mean, the, mm. <laughs> when, I always
1: remember when, <laughs> when you came up. You, <laughs> quite, a, quite a left turn there, Mark. There was,
2: <laughs> there was a good 45-minute debate about whether Mike's behavior in attire was acceptable, but I'm never sure quite where it lied. But it, it definitely was a thing on at least six shows afterwards. Uh, but Mike, you're definitely sticking to your guns, I'll give you that.
1: Mike's a trendsetter, you know, and he doesn't care about foot sweat or smell or hygiene or any of those things. And and I respect that. I mean, it, you know, it's some, that's an easy, it's an easy choice to wear socks. Uh, and, uh, Mike's not about easy choices. So good for you, Mike, the Asha. You championed so. loafer. <laughs> I, I I love, I
0: love the no socks thing. No socks thing is just, it's, um, it's, it's a lifestyle choice. If you're gonna, if you're gonna commit to it, you gotta commit hard. Like, I yeah. will not wear socks now from this point on till probably the end of September. It's not happening. Not, it doesn't matter. Rain, shine, whatever. It's not happening. Not going to wear socks.
1: That's the best way. Mike to- is full of lifestyle choices. I, I like that. See, just so you know, to give you guys an example, you know, being gay is not a lifestyle choice. Uh, not wearing socks with regular shoes, that is a lifestyle choice. Committing wholeheartedly to rum that's a lifestyle choice you so need to make that that clear distinction there we can't what mark back to your whole Europa League yeah. or European thing like I you know whatever I feel like the other kind of annual tradition we have is we get to about March or April we start talking about so where is this thing going? When's everything going to take the next? I'm, I'm almost bored with that conversation, though to Mike's point earlier, at least we've got a group that is still kind of in it at this point. They're still trying hard and that's important and, and all of those things. I was thinking too, that like you said, Carla demands to be in Europe. And I thought, why don't given Carlo Ancelotti's record and history in the champions league, why don't we qualify for one of the, apparently dozens of arbitrary exemptions that they're about to start creating for getting into the Champions League. You know, if if certain clubs just get in, like, <laughs> they just get in because of some, like, weird imaginary unicorn coefficient that they come up with. Uh, why not just say, well, Carlo Ancelotti's been in the cup. You know, he's won the Champions League three times. Uh, therefore, any club he's managing ought to just have an at-large spot in there. I mean, I I don't know what the difference is anymore. It's just – it's all it, – it's, it's so weird because we go from this linear discussion of, well, Everton have to – You know, achieve this if they finish in this place or in this, then they achieve getting into Europa or they get achieved getting into the Champions League. And pretty soon it feels like that whole conversation is going to be a very convoluted and hard to understand one because the Champions League is, for all intents and purposes, it sounds like it's about to become this completely insular league that doesn't, that has the same teams no matter what. And it kind of takes away any of the intrigue of, you know, quote, getting Champions League spots. Maybe at that point, all I care about is the league and just enjoying the league season for what it is instead of thinking about Europe. But I don't know. The, the whole proposition right now of Europe is in the short term, something that I care about for Everton's progression, but in the long term, broad point of view, it feels like something that's about to become this really muddied kind of gross, dumb competition that doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) I mean, I may be, maybe I'm being too harsh, but I I'm finding myself caring a lot less about the, the champions league because of how corrupt the whole setup is, seems to be becoming at this point. But this
0: is why I want the farmer's league. And John, I should say, I should say that Farmers League, it sounds incredibly disparaging. It's not. Like it obviously it comes from like that really stupid thing years ago. I think it was Arsenal fans who started it started to refer to teams that would eventually go on to beat them as farmers in that yeah. sort of self-deprecating way. And the Farmers League, you can't call it the Farmers Conference because that sounds like a load of fellas just standing in a room discussing how well beetroots are gonna sell next year. But oh, like, you gotta call it. Yeah, you gotta gotta call it something in the middle. But, but,
1: um, this is different from the Farmers League that we refer to as the French, well, the French yeah. league where Moise King scores goals in the Farmers League, right? Well, exactly,
0: exactly. Right. League,
1: yeah. so, so,
0: but this is why I, for me, it's I, I don't want to get into what will be the most depressing minefield of European football over the next however many years it lasts, which will be. The fact that you can quite you can finish fourth in your league on merit and go, Nah, sorry, mate, you weren't trainers. You no, you're not getting in here. Just it, it it's just such a dull thing to happen. Like you get into these competitions because you earn a set amount of points by winning a certain amount of football matches. That's football. That's how it works. You win games, you are good, you lose games, you are bad. It's the entire basis of how it works, but I think the joke is on the big circle-jerking groups that have organised this because eventually it's going to get to the point where you'll get to the end of a football season and you know what? Relegation's decided. The, um, The title's been decided. What do we enjoy watching? It's watching whether big teams are going to fuck it up and not manage to qualify for Europe to qualify for the Champions League. When United end up in that bloody limbo phase that they end up in every year now and you have someone like Leicester who can pip them on the final day of the season like last season... Well, if that becomes null and void, no one's going to watch it. Why would you watch it? There's nothing to watch. It's already sorted because, you know, the coefficient's great. Yeah, brilliant. And the fun part about the Champions League, the most fun part this year has been Porto beating Juventus. That doesn't happen. It It just stops happening, things like that do not happen anymore. It's just, it gets to the point where it will get so ridiculously banal. It will feel like a game of football manager where you've played for 20 seasons. You've hoovered up all the best players and there is no competition anymore. It won't even be good for the fans of teams who are in that competition because they will be so bored of playing yeah. league games week in, week out, knowing that no matter if they finish 12th, 14th, 29th or 1st, they are still going to qualify for the premier competition in Europe. What's the
1: competition mm-hmm. then? Yeah, it's not even a competition at a certain point. If getting into it is, you know, and I, you use the word "circle jerk." I referred to it earlier this week on Twitter. <laughs> it's a big. This is just becoming a big farcical circle jerk of a thing. And I suppose I, I've, I want to ask you guys this because it's more of a question of perspective. Um, I get that a lot of this is fueled by money and greed. And it's very much the the easiest narrative and maybe that's just all it is. But sometimes I think, and this applies to the premier league too, in regards to how the rules are essentially set up and the entire system is set up to maintain a pretty static status quo. Do you think that the, those who run this sport have a misconception about fans appetite for parody meaning that do they think that fans are more interested in the same super teams always being the best or do they think that oh well it would be a watered down competition if you know there are new teams that are finishing in the top six or there are new teams who qualify for the champions league who can go far like you mentioned you know porto making a run etc even though i know they're generally in the premier league. Like Mike, we have this conversation and, and I, I know people will get annoyed because it's a bit, it's, it, there are differences. It's a bit apples and oranges, but the, the, the most, the, the wealthiest professional sporting league in the world, the NFL has a playoff every year. And about half the teams every year are new teams that have made the playoffs uh, outside of the Patriots winning the super bowl every other year. Sometimes uh, and even that looks like it's over for a while. Like there's parody has become this thing that has only brought more interest because more fans feel every season like, you know, this season's a bad season, but I can watch it with the context of knowing that we could bounce back uh, and, do, and go on a run or what have you. It just feels like there's this sense from those that make these decisions who come up with these ideas for these super leagues that – well, clearly, fans don't want uh, they they want stability. They want the same twenty teams, by God, in in this uh, in this competition every year. And it just it it feels like a real misreading of the room, if you will. Am I am I off base, or or do you think that most fans uh, who consume football over there really do kind of like the stability of the same old, same old every year in terms of who makes it and who doesn't? I don't think they care about what.
0: Fans think because it doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference what I think. It makes a difference that millions upon millions of people, uh, when or when you look at the four corners of the world, will quite happily sit down and watch Manchester United against Barcelona if it's on four times a year. If you can get four games out of that, loads of people are going to watch it. It doesn't matter if the people who actually care watch it or not. Because we'll make up for that. I don't think many of the lawmakers do actually care anymore at all. It's not even don't think, it's quite obviously don't. Fans don't want to pay more than £20 for an away ticket. Fans don't really want to be going up and down the country at ridiculous times for FA Cup semi finals and all sorts and all those traditional things that have just been binned off. And that's this country alone. And to be honest with you, when it comes to governing bodies, this country is probably one of the most moderate. When you look at like you look at the likes of um how Andre Agnelli is pushing this ridiculous manifesto onto UEFA constantly, the only Juventus who's constantly cry asking about constantly, constantly. And it's all because he wants to avoid the exact same situation that has just happened to him about being beaten by a team that is smaller than his. He wants to just remove it. He's tired of having to actually work out a way of stopping it. So what he's going to do instead is he's just going to throw money at the problem and say, no, actually, I'm richer than you. My my team that I own has won more things than you in history. So we're just going to close the door now because I'm tired of this. And when you look at it, it's just such a disrespectful slap in the face. The fact that it's even got to the stage where it's seen as, yeah, well, it's going to happen. So, you know, it's just one of them things. It's absolutely just insane. Mm-hmm. The idea that you can just go, yeah, fine. Well, I know that in actual recent history, you've actually been beaten by crap teams quite often and they've put you out. But actually, I think it is a really good idea that we bring you in, even though you are obviously not good enough to beat the very best teams because you can't beat the crap teams and therefore would have bad matches against the best teams. People will watch you because of the name not alone, and that's the way it's going to be for a few years, and you'll have to get through that. But what you notice is when we watch those games, those hyped-up games, how many do we watch? They're awful. Do you know when, when you actually sit down and you think about it, about like, oh, right, it's oh it's Bayern Munich against Barcelona tonight. Oh, yes. How many of them have we seen that have been 5-0 blowouts either side? How many have we seen where it's just, it's just there is no competition? Granted, you get the odd one that is excellent, but that happens with any matchup in world football. But it all comes back to the fact that there are so many of these European giants that are on the cusp of going bust you just got to look at the likes of Barcelona, look at the likes of Juventus and how they run their books. Barcelona have done it so irresponsibly that their only option now is to try and fork more money out of UEFA somehow to make, make this ridiculous spending that they've done null and void rather than actually burying them into the ground. And it gets to the point where you just think, for the sake of football parity, fine, yeah, if you, need to, you need to actually take a step down work it all out and then work your way back up again. That's better than ripping the entire system apart because it just breaks football. It just, to me, it seems bonkers, but at this point, it's going to happen. Hmm. Yeah. So, I just, Go ahead, Mark. I think if... Imagine if just withdrawing your
2: team from a competition and starting a new one up because you were getting beat by shite teams was actually a thing over here. Because Everton would just withdraw from the Carling Cup in the second round every single year just
0: to just to avoid all all possible domestic embarrassments. And
1: <laughs> Everton
0: Everton would be like, do you know that bit in The Simpsons where Milhouse is throwing the frisbee to
1: himself? Yeah, um, that's what Everton would yeah. be. <laughs> Um, it's just I mean, on, on the subject, there's always a Mil- there's always a millhouse reference that works with everton it's weird but it's true i i would i would give you shit for that mike but you're absolutely right <laughs> in terms of competition i think
2: uh, only a governing body like uefa could hit us with such irony in a year where fixer congestion has been such an enormous talking point that we're actually going to try and squeeze extra european fixtures in here and then a. Uh, I've seen I've seen a couple of ways in which this could work. So, um, scrapping FA Cup replays, um, which obviously we've seen a little bit of this year, and and taking Carlin Cup games down to one leg, which is which is debatably a good idea when it gets to the semi final stage, but it it's just got that stench of throwing normality and reasoning out the window in the eternal quest of millions and millions of pounds or more money for. The elite of European football. Um, I think the, the only thing that surprises me about this and, and the way that you've mentioned obviously about how. Teams wouldn't necessarily have to be any good to get into the Champions League. Um, the fact that this hasn't been rushed through this season in a year where Liverpool are, are languishing way below the Champions League places is is an enormous surprise to me. And I mean, there's, there's still at least two games of the season left, so there's there's plenty of of, of space for UEFA to change their mind there. But yeah, it's just um, you mentioned about some of these bigger clubs like Barcelona and like Juventus and. I think that the worrying worrying trend for me is that this is, it, it seems to me as though this is no longer just a governing body in UEFA or in FIFA peddling the same bizarre idea and none of the clubs actually taking any form of notice or responsibility to actually listen to them. And for for some of the reasons that Mike mentioned, I think that some of some some of your obsolete will will definitely buy into this. Uh, and if it is in the the quest to achieve more money and to become more of a global economic power, which some of these football clubs are, then they, they will side to that rather than. I think Mike's dead right in terms of the, There's no misconception from FIFA in terms of what European or world football fans want. They're just not asked. They don't care if we like to see a great tale of the underdog, or or see you know a Porto go to Juventus, or a Leicester win the Premier League, or whatever it may be. They just they know that that's a nice thing. They just don't actually care. Um, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to be the the football fan and the Everton fan who says, "Well, yeah, I don't even want Champions League anyway because it's." It's far too economic and, and we're we're a football purist here and we we just want to see our team have fun in lesser competitions and you know it's not that we want, we wanna we wanna see Evan achieve on the highest level, but it has to be for the right reasons under the right conditions and yeah, more and more I think it's gonna happen with the World Cup as well, isn't it? It's just that that it I, I'm sure by the time we are reaching our elderly years that We'll be watching a World Cup which has ninety-six teams, and then it. it goes on for four months mm. a year because we're, we're, we're yeah. obsessed with inclusion on that international stage. We're obsessed with the economy on on our European stage, uh, and it it does feel as though the whole the whole narrative around footballing governing bodies, which was set up in the last sort of ten years or so, obviously hit a peak with Cepplas FIFA. I don't think that stench has quite gone away from from that side of the game, and it's sad because you know it it, it is that kind of balance knack between what we want Everton to be and and the stage that we want to see them perform against everything that I think most Evertonians don't really don't really stand for in this game. We're not naive; we know that football is enormous, and, and we know that that is that is ultimately the power to have in this sport, but. I think we still like to, to hold on to, to some of the more sort of spiritual elements of, of the game. And I think Everton fans are particularly good at doing that. Um, but yeah, you'd be. Um, I, I don't think after such a barren spell, we are ready to, at this stage, boycott European football. I think as soon as it was. Well, <laughs> once of us with two
1: games left, we'd all be chomping at the bit to get it. Sure. Well, and, and look, I, this is not the. Um this is not any in any way some sort of reactionary um, turn to the left because I'm starting to read the writing on the wall about Everton's season. It's just, it's the same questions that, I, th- th- there's the same kind of tone I'm, I'm 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 utilizing here that I have had about the way that the Premier League is set up and how it's anti-competitive and so on and so forth. I, I, I think that the difference is, is that, we we ask ourselves well what is it about uh, a ch- quote unquote achieving Champions League that is so important? Um, what's what's interesting for someone like me who if I'm lucky I might get over to see a Champions League that Everton plays someday versus uh, season ticket holders there who might be able to you know if, if, if Everton achieved Champions League or European campaign, you have an opportunity to go to several more games, do a lot of travel. I suppose that there are really kind of two layers to this. One is that I view you know getting into the Champions League more around the achievement of of getting to that next tier of accomplishment if you will. Um it's not it's not winning a trophy technically but finishing top 4 it, it is it means something and if you begin to really meddle with the mechanisms upon around how teams actually Qualify for this thing, then it, it starts to throw into into uh, into question what does it even mean to quote qualify anymore? If 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 qualifying used to mean this, it was very black and white. Now it's very arbitrary, and it's it just it it just feels gross more than anything else. And it, it begins to beg the question of well, what is it about being an Everton supporter that if we are going to in any way be excluded or if they keep moving the goalposts if you will like i think i, I think my worry is that we're going to get into a situation where we finish fourth whether it's this season probably not but let's say this season or next season and some weird new tweak in the rule says oh you finish fourth now in every other year with this many points and finishing in fourth you would have made champions league but Spurs finished seventh this year and they've got to get in because they're Spurs or or Chelsea had an off year or they'll find a way to get Arsenal in Champions League, even if they're mid-table. Like, that's the kind of stuff. I think someone pointed out this, the weird scenario this season where if they instituted this proposal, like, how would West Ham feel if, if somehow Spurs get into the Champions League ahead of them? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's uh, again, until something is fully passed. I suppose that this is all just sort of a form of doom scrolling, and I don't want to totally do that. But at the same time, I'm just, we we've already reached a saturation point with football. I think we we all talked this season about just how much of it there was, and some of that was dictated by the COVID schedule, but. If you think about it this is a sport that already has a what a 2 month off season <laughs> for the most part I mean yeah I, like the the, the the games end in May and we're already getting into friendlies uh and train back in training by the end of June and and er- early July and it's sort of like Okay, well what can we do to make this sport better? Well, not only are we going to have a ton of football to watch, we're going to make sure that the same teams are in the same competitions every year. That'll be exciting. I mean, I just feel like there is a lack of awareness about what can keep the product itself fresh. And I don't think that having more games uh, and more competitions with with yet and yet still finding a way to keep only the same group in them all the time is is really a recipe for intrigue on any level. And and, and I just I, I don't I don't think people think it through. And to Mike's point, it does feel very much like a bunch, you know, a handful of mega rich owners who have poorly managed their businesses and are rewriting the rules to make sure that they don't have to pay any consequences for it. And so I'm left feeling kind of empty (laughs) about 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 European talk right now, even though, yes, hopefully we can get into the Farmers Cup where we can just not have to worry about the prestige of it. We can just have fun with being in European competition and enjoy the extra set of games and and the opportunity, hopefully, to attract players because we're going to be playing more fixtures and therefore we'll have more minutes to allocate and so on and so forth. You'd have thrown on like a gap year, you know, on on the on the back of like three or four good seasons and
2: they've built up the coefficients. You think, well, we're just gonna we're gonna bin off a load of those players that have got us there for a, a pretty high value transfer fee. We'll blood a few youngsters for a season and get the, get them ready for for the big push next year. Safe in the knowledge that all they need to do is consolidate 12th place, qualify for the Champions League, and then they've got a nice fresh new team ready and 100 million in the bank. So I don't know, maybe, maybe yeah. Everton have just been perennially waiting for this for the last 35 years, and and this, this yeah. is our time to. To to make ninth place an actual thing, but yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty grim when you when you kind of allow this side of football to enter your thinking. Because I think we're um, we're all pretty pretty tribal and and pretty instinctive about how we how we actually think about this thing for for the vast majority of the time. And we like to think that the the commercial element isn't the thing, but they, uh, these conversations just don't go away, do they? It it happens, and then we talk about this Super League, and then everyone kind of settles down, and then. There's that, there's that eternal knowledge in the back of your mind that the game will be stripped apart at some point. It's just at, at what stage do we do it? But I don't think, I don't think feeding everyone's first to watch every single game on tv has, has probably helped this year because for, for so many will will now demand this level of of consistent coverage on an annual basis uh, mm. I know that it, it it will get to this stage in the season and if your team isn't necessarily achieving at the the level that you want it to then your attention span will will waver at times but I think as a football fan, how how often in this country in particular, um, looking over at you guys, Rob, who are able to to watch the Premier League every single week, and you probably get an opportunity before this season to watch Everton on TV more than we do, uh, just given, yeah. given some of the issues. It's we always have, been weird. Yeah, some of the issues we have with, with television rights over here, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know if um, you know, Mike. I don't know if you think the opportunity to see Everton on TV every week is a good thing. I suspect that that there might be some of you who think that's not necessarily a good thing. But yeah, no that that's always that's always been strange. Um, I do want to shift to another question because um, I the the, the whole, I want to ask about the stadium really quick, guys, because I, I feel like the the story around the stadium for those who are outside of the UK, especially who don't understand maybe how this process works. And I don't need you guys to get into the boring nuance that will put everyone into a deep rum sleep. uh, If we get into all of the, uh, all of the ins and outs of, of, of the bureaucracy around it. But a few basic questions. I wanted to see if you guys can answer for me. A is this, is this really, are we really past the last hurdle? Are they really going to put a, Shovel in the ground at some point is—is is this really it? Because I feel like we have, I feel like we've celebrated the the third of eight steps uh, before already. We were like, "All right, now we get to the next phase of the application planning process." But it, I get the impression that this is really it. Is this—is this really it at this point? Is that a, a, just a yes or no? Would, would help me a lot. No. <laughs> ah, I knew it. Well, I knew it. Technically <laughs> technically it all still needs to be
0: signed over to them, which apparently is a formality, but you know, Everton. Oh. But even then, I'm not gonna believe it till I'm sat in it. Why why would you? Like at this point, if you're an Evertonian, why on earth would you believe that it would be a thing unless you were there watching Everton lose in disappointing fashion to Brighton or someone? Like until that yeah. happens. I don't know it's real and I never will. Yeah. It could be 99% built and we could find out that it's built on an in- ancient Indian burial ground and unfortunately has to be demolished or like moved brick by brick to Kerby the- or
1: somewhere somewhere. I, the idea of an ancient Indian burial ground on Merseyside is is an intriguing storyline that I'd like to explore further at some point, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> Until I food, leg cars at the first game that I attend, it's not
2: actually a thing, Um yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, at, at this stage, you still kind of expect Everton to move into Anfield once they demolish the King's Dock Arena and build their own
1: one down there. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, when when is the thing supposed to be done? Okay, in theory, let's just say that the answer, according to most of Everson Twitter, then I and I certainly asked the question, and most people have answered no. Really, this means it's happening, or what have you. Um, When's it supposed to open? Because normally, at least in my experience, they announce that a new stadium has been approved and they're they're going to start construction on it, and they tell you it will be open for at least in theory, it will be open uh, for match day one of twenty twenty five or something like that. Yeah. I just watched the whole Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, will it open, will it not open debacle that seemed to stretch on for almost a full season. So I don't know that I believe any answer that I'm provided, but at least in theory, what is your understanding of when this new stadium will open? Is it 24-25 or 25-26? I, I honestly thought it was 24-25, but I'm, I'm not totally confident on the Okay. Um, I get a, a head nod from Mike. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think initially, initially, I think optimistically, we were talking about spades um, in the ground this this calendar year, weren't we? Uh, in terms of sort of January, February to start, but whether that is actually still well on course to to happen, yes, uh, just a few months later, that would that would be obviously great. But um, I, I don't know. Even talking about that, my my overwhelming feeling is just how few games at Goodison Park we've got left. Uh, I don't. I don't think the whole sense of the move has become real, and I, I don't think it really will until you start to see some form of of construction work before you you really start in your mindset to start thinking about Everton's home moving. Uh, and I, I think until that point, that that's been the the one sort of damning rule of the pandemic over Everton. Really, is that we've we've been. St- robbed of these games to, to go to. Mm. I remember looking back uh season before this one, uh, at the prospect of only having a hundred games left at Goodison Park. Um and you try and tally up how many you've been to and, and how quickly that will fly and and very quickly sort of twenty or thirty of those games have just been been stripped away. Um but I think that's mm. that's that's been on my mind throughout most of this talk of the move really and i mean if we're lucky what are we looking at about 60 games um, yes I, i'm not trying to tarnish what will be an incredible stadium move and some of the pictures of of the ground are, are being praised not only by evertonians but certainly football fans globally i would say they they do look fantastic it's incredibly exciting it's incredibly necessary for a club like everton to do this um but yeah the the, the prospect of going to to goodison park for for the final time um, is pretty devastating, actually, uh, and I just know that yeah. I, I've seen some teams move ground. We, we saw that fantastic game that West Ham had against against Man United at the Bowling Ground before they moved, and they, they had this incredibly exciting victory over over a, a great team. And just the knowledge that Everton would get beat by Fulham in that last game, one nil, and have <laughs> four shots, and and be really underwhelming, and we'd. We'd boo them off before some pretty lame fireworks went off for the last game of the season. I think that that, that that's what irks me and um, scares me about it at the moment. But, yeah, I think I think that kind of emotional side of it has probably taken over my mind more so than the, the progressive
1: side of the, of the bromley dock. Well, I- I'm waiting for the over-the-top romantic- romanticization, if you will, of... Goodison, the fi- like when we get to the final season at Goodison, they are going to make so much money off of <laughs> nostalgia. I can't, I just, they're going to print money off of, of nostalgia and they they won't be showing, let's just put it this way, they're not going to be showing you videos of uh, us losing at home to Fulham or Newcastle or some of our, our more, acro- you know, our more uh, uh, devastating European losses under David Moyes or anything like that. But uh, yeah, like... I'm 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 very I'm so happy that I've had a chance to go to Goodison and I can't wait to come back and I and I'm hoping that I can get there at least for uh, you know for me you say 100 more games I'm already thinking like if I if I don't make it back this year. I may only have two opportunities, you know, I mean, I just, I don't know. And and that's, that's a little scary, but I'm glad that I've at least had a chance to go into it. I think the bigger question, Mike, is when we get this new stadium with the NFL expanding to 17 games, and that now includes a promise that every NFL team will play in England once every eight years at a minimum, will we get and? an NFL game at the new Bramley Moore Stadium. That's what I want to know. How awesome would it be to not just have everything be at Wembley and actually utilize a new stadium to host an NFL game? How cool would that be?
0: It would be so, so good, wouldn't it? It would be, so, be so bomb. It be excellent, but you you already know you get in line behind
1: Spurs. And that's, <laughs> that's, sure. just, that's just the way it goes, isn't it? I- sure. Well, but but the thing is now is I think that with extra games and I think that they're trying to basically create a cycle every year where there are like right now, I feel like there's like two, three. Maybe, what is there? Two or three games every year in the UK yeah. right now? I think they're going to try and like there's going to get to be a point where you're like half the seat they're going to be like six or seven or eight games every year in the UK I think is what what they may eventually expand to well if you if you get to that point
0: surely you have to bring at least one of the games up north at least once surely like yeah and hopefully it's not in manchester but yeah yeah and but you know what even if it is i don't care brilliant it would be lovely if it was there because it means i could go and be in town but even if i don't just that's another point isn't it is that it shouldn't just be localized to london that thing it's like it's not only people in london who have sky telly who can watch things that aren't in england like i mean it's just that kind of thing it should be just Expanded a little bit, but like just a word on Goodison as well. I've already decided I won't go the last game, I'm Mm. not going
1: because you're going to take a walk during that game as well and just ignore it. No, I just, I I just,
0: I, I, my last experience, I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be that sort of like, like you were talking there, Mark, about the West Ham thing. I don't want that as my last experience of Goodison. So one of the games in the run-up to it, that will be my last game. I will stay until the final whistle. I will stay a little bit later until the crowds are thinned out. And I'll go for a walk. I'll just walk around for a little bit because it stays open for a good half hour, hour afterwards. You walk around, come outside, have a walk around while the streets are emptying. That's going to be my last game. I would decide that's how I'm going to do it because I don't want that weird sort of built up, this is the day we're all going to be emotional about it. I don't know, there's something about that that's just kind of off-putting to me. I don't know why, but uh, for me, no, not not really about that. We're
2: not necessarily a football team for the big occasion, let's be honest. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like you... <laughs> oh,
2: I'm
1: sorry, Mark, go ahead.
2: I'd say the pressure to perform on that sort of expected level would just be absolutely disastrous. Uh, but yeah, yeah I I do I do know what you mean. It's um I don't know. I, I think it it would just the the demand i put on myself to just savour every sort of second of good or some would would take me there. But I, I do I do totally appreciate how people that want it to be wanted to be a more sort of pure send-off in, in terms of not having that sort of pantomime level next game. You can imagine about 40 fellows from Sky legging around with cameras trying to get a picture of every single player coming off. And, and that's not necessarily what, what Gutherson
0: means to us. Exactly. Well, people have their own memories. People have their own things that they cherish, their own people. Like, there are people that... there are people you've gone to Goodison with who aren't here anymore, there are people who you treasure specific memories and specific smells with and that last day, like you say, it's going to be it's going to be cameras, it's going to be everything, it's going to be so full on that I don't think people will get that proper opportunity to really savour all of those moments, take it in, so my advice to people is, throughout all of this time, from now, as soon as we go back in, do your best to savour all of those moments, every single one you have, like There are things that I will remember about that place forever. And there will be a day when we don't go there anymore to be able to visualize them. So while we have it now, every single time you're there, make the most of it. But there's one interesting thing that I really, really find about this place is um, there are people who have got their ashes buried under the pitch at Goodison. Mm. Um, A very select few people. Um, What are they going to do with those people? I, I, I was Mother thinking Mother. about
1: this. Like like what do you oh. Their ashes are now kind of part of the earth now, aren't they? I mean they can't really unless you're gonna just dig up all the dirt underneath the you know, like what do you do?
0: Well I think I think they're buried and they're put in like
1: boxes. I think they are. Oh, okay. Um, I, I didn't um, know that. I thought you said they were I thought it meant like they were spread. No, they weren't you know? I don't I think they were scattered. Of being I think cremated so that you can either be Have your ashes spread somewhere and or be in an urn somewhere, not buried. If you're going to get buried, I'd like my whole body buried under Goodison. Well, that's
0: it, isn't it? That's the difference. I'm not sure they'd be having decomposing flesh underneath Goodison Park.
1: But But Mike, would you want it to move? Like if you had had your ashes buried underneath Goodison because all of your memories in life, a lot of your memories in life are associated with Goodison... It's not like you wouldn't want them to move with the team. I wouldn't want them to move because I d- I don't have any connection to Bramley more. If I'm dead ash guy, well, it's well, called dead ash. We'll call him Ashy. He- let's say Ashy gets his, uh, gets his, gets cremated and is under Goodison. And, and he was there for the title years in the eighties and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you know, he's somewhere in heaven or hell or purgatory or whatever. And he sees that, that his family, his grandkid is going to move his, uh, his box of ashes over to Branley Moore. I don't think he would like that. I think Ashy would be pretty upset. Well, about.
0: I'm, I'm related to Ashy one of one of many Ashy's. So like, I, I, w- I was thinking about this and, I couldn't make my mind up because part of me was like, well, yeah, why would they want to move? They have such a connection to the place and what it meant to them. Then there was another part of me that was like, is it a connection to the specific place or is it a connection to the feeling? And that feeling is going to move. And that's the one thing that Mm. sort of held me back. But the one, I don't know, I'm kind of swayed because obviously I think it, it would have been completely different if Goodison would have been sold as some sort of housing, property development thing, I would be like, yeah, dig them all up, take them with you right now. But because it's going to stay as a proper social hub that's dedicated to the local area, I'm a lot more, I think, in the camp of leave them people where they are because all the memories and the continuation of a presence of Everton Football Club, the presence of what was there in the first place, I'm kind of of the mind to just leave them there. Obviously, it's not my decision, but, you know.
1: Well... And Mike, you brought up the whole Indian burial ground curse thing before. Do you really want to mess with people's remains and anger spirits? I mean, like, you're just asking for a whole bloodbath situation. Yeah,
0: not again. Not again.
1: Uh, I, I just, you know, like, does Everton need more bad luck or In curses Asia. to follow them? Uh, I, I don't think so. I, already, know. I've seen all of the, I've seen all the XG charts that everyone posts, guys. We don't need any more. We don't need any extra curses on us, you know.
2: Um, <laughs> you can already see the tabloid headlines of Everton don't win for three years at Bramley Moor due to spiritual disruption of Goodison Park. You just, you just know that this is going to happen, and then we have this big collective ceremony to take them all back to the original Goodison Park and then go on a 10 game winning spree and realize it was holding us back. Oh my god Rob, the curse is real. This is this is it. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Yori Geller would I'm, be down I'm, to that pitch so fast. <laughs> I'm telling you
1: look I know that there are like specific rules about you know what you're allowed to do with people's ashes and especially a goodison or whatever but i'm just going to tell you guys now and i'm going to put this in my will i am going i want a portion of my ashes sent over there and i don't give a fuck what what the government says the law says you are to pour my ashes Right in, right on top of the car park where I took a piss after getting drunk with you guys that one night, because that is my <laughs> spiritual home in the school.
2: I was gonna say we're gonna okay? take it to salt. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, take the salt. Take it. Take it to the car park outside of Salt Dog Slims, or Salt Dog Slims <laughs> in the toilet. That's fine. uh You know what? Even better, Mark. You take it to salt dogs. You put it in the urinal. You flush the urinal, and then I am spread out all through Liverpool at that point. And and I think that uh, I can I can begin to you know use my spiritual magic to uh, reverse any curse that may may have come from everything. See,
0: see my my granddad actually did this. So, um, so when my. No, no. When, when my nan died. Yeah. Yeah. My nan's like ashes are scattered. uh, It's all dog slim. She loved it. Couldn't get enough. No. Um, when she died, Uh, um, her favorite place as many people in this city is, um, Sefton park Palm house, the, um, Peter. Oh
1: yeah. You took me there, Mike. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah. Peter Pan statue that they used to have in the center of the park. It's now moved to by the, by the Palm house was her favorite thing in the world. She loved it. Um,
1: Little-known he- fact: Peter Pan is from Liverpool. That's right, <laughs> Liverpool.
0: And um, so he wrote. He wrote to the council. I was like, "Am I okay to scatter her ashes there?" And the council wrote back and said, "No, no, you are not. It's not allowed." Um, so what he decided to do was he put her ashes into a jam jar. Well, three separate jam jars, and over the course That's of a few weeks. He'd take a jam jar down with him to the park in his in his big coat. He'd have it in in his in his coat there, and he'd wander around a bit like he was in the Great Escape. Do you know the bit where they're getting rid of all the dirt out of the pants, and he just like shot like Redemption yeah, exactly. Absolutely. He'd walk around by the statue
1: and just scatter bits over the course of weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's man, you know. I usually when I think about death, it's really scary. But like, I'm excited about this. Like, I, I'm I'm already thinking about all the different cool places that I can have my ashes spread by my friends. <laughs> well, some of that's going to be here in Oklahoma. Some in Puerto Rico, of course. Uh, but but definitely, there's going to be a part of me that ends up in Liverpool. Like, I think one of the things I need to do too is I need to make sure that you know how people will choose their clothes for like what how they want to be buried or whatever mm-hmm. in their clothes, like. I've got to wear, I've got to be buried in my Yeri Mina Columbia shirt. Then they burn me or not buried, but like, I, you know, they take my body. They put like, I want, I, you know, they'll, they'll put the shirt on me. Then they'll put me in the oven and burn me. And then it'll be like Yeri and I are together forever, which would be amazing, you know? And then we could just be spread out all over the world. God, it just sounds, that sounds so good. Well, see guys, we're ending on a hopeful note here. Um, you know, we, uh, we are going to reverse the curse of any ancient Indian burial grounds uh, voodoo that may or may not be going on uh, on Mersey side right now. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, I think that I think that's a plan. So I'm relying on you guys. This is uh, if if, uh, if if the council tries to give you guys any shit, you play them this recording yeah. and said, hey, "Look, Rob is an international diplomat. Um, he is the most famous Puerto Rican." Oklahoman fan of the club i don't know if you guys knew that but i am and you uh you say look uh, we've got to honor his last wishes here uh oh and also while you're doing it mike rum you have to be drinking rum or the 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 the, the spell doesn't work if so.
0: if rum needs drinking i will do that yeah so,
1: you
2: know, because the, the councilor are already going to be on to mike as soon as this show is finished because there's some issues that need talking about there. <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, wait. Does the council even have any power if uh, the city of Liverpool has been taken over by the by the UK government? Or how does that work? You know, I think the ultimate act of rebellion is spreading your your buddy Rob's ashes wherever the fuck you like <laughs> in Liverpool. You know, and just saying. Yeah, uh, you know what I can do also is I can wear my uh, Everton against Tories uh, turn shirt uh, underneath my Yeri Mina shirt. You know, get, get kind of a multi layered approach going so that everyone knows you know where I stood on everything. Or, or I can get the uh, the Yarmolinko shirt that I had made for oh, myself yeah. that I never got to wear um no i'm kidding i never I never did that. The last would have
2: been cool, NFL though. point just because we touched on it before. I know that the uh, the jags have kind of made London their kind of spiritual second home you guys uh, i assume it's the cowboys you'd want here or is that a little bit a little bit too close to home and, and too
1: much disappointment for you Mike or are they, are they the they well, speaking the of, want- speaking of long term curses the dallas cowboys um yes, I would love. I would love nothing more than to see the Dallas Cowboys sitting next to Mike uh, at a stadium in the north of England. I think that would be fantastic. But that's a very specific wish uh, on my part. But. You know, the only other person that I would demand go with us, I'd make we, we gotta make Patty Boylan watch the NFL with us, yes. and and he has to, and he has to write a deep ten thousand word athletic uh, athletic piece about the NFL and the magic of it. Uh, I think that would be great. And then I'll go see cricket, and I will butcher every term and you know lack of understanding of the rules and like you know. Like, oh, did that guy get a quadruple thicket or what? You know, like I, I won't know, but, but I'm, I'm sure I'll have fun either way. I think you'll have a lovely day when we go to the cricket. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I started to understand it a little bit. I know who, I know that there's, I know that Jofra is a guy. He is. And I know that <laughs> Ben, Sto- Ben Stokes is Ben Stokes the real badass? Yeah. <laughs> the guy who's really the really good one. All right, there you go. And then <laughs> yeah you know, but i also know india is really good at this and <laughs> i always root for india against england just because of all the colonialism and stuff because you guys kind of i feel like karmically deserve whatever india can give you in cricket but you know that's I lo- that's a political I
2: lo- I lo- how rob, rob thinks that ben stokes is the best
1: quidditch player we've seen in years Just like, yeah. so <laughs> <laughs> he plays quidditch he plays Quidditch too. Dude, that's amazing. He's like a two-sport star over there. <laughs> Quidditch is like the third major sport there, right? It's like football, cricket, <laughs> pre- Quidditch. Pre- yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quidditch then rugby. Well, well, yeah, <laughs> dude. What was up? Okay, I, I keep meaning to exit, but I can't. Okay, who was that guy? You guys saw that viral video going around a few weeks ago. That rugby player that they in, that they had that really weird interview with who. Every answer he gave was this like high poetic, crazy ass. Like, it was the most entertaining two minute interview I've ever seen. And I don't know if that guy's a total prick or what, but it was. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, who was that guy?
0: I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's rugby union in a nutshell, pretty much. Like, anyone who's ever been to university in the UK has met that person on a night out. Like everyone, it's just it—it's skin crawlingly bad. Ugh.
2: <laughs> okay. It, I mean, it was—it was quite strange. Like it, it was quite eloquent for a sports person, for someone who's watched football for thirty years, to see someone using words in a relatively clever and sarcastic way. I thought that was—it it, was—it was very, very different. I can imagine for. For an interviewer who was probably just lining himself up to tap in a nice generic pre-game interview i imagine that he hasn't probably sat down on and taken on another interview quite like that since but yeah it's uh um, it's a strange I, I don't know if it's like that over there rob whereby you that the kind of same generic rhetoric is ushered by literally every sportsman It was it was refreshing yeah. from a Five or ten percent point of view, but yeah, the um, the the stereotype that Mike is depicting there is is very true, and and yeah, that, I know that I'm not going to drag rugby league into this demise because Mike might just Best come guy. out. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 well, once once again, I have fulfilled our our kick about mission statement of of finding a way to comment broadly on things that I have no understanding of and spreading as much misinformation as possible, but hopefully doing so in an entertaining way with you guys. Um, This has been been awesome as always. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Mark, as always, great. Um, Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you feel, Everton are back uh, Monday, sure. and so we've you know we've got plenty of content on all the channels. We we'll have weekend preview, even though it's on a Monday. I guess we'll still call it weekend preview. Uh, And all the other shows that come with that, Uh, I'm sure we'll be doing a post match and uh, talking about another weird loss to a subpar team at home uh, during this weird season. (laughs) But now we're going to win. We're going to win the rest of these games. I I can already I can feel it. We're going to get in Farmers League and uh, I can't wait to get to Estonia with you guys. I'm telling you, it's going to be one hell of a ride. So uh, for Mark Mosey and Mike DeAsha, I'm Rob Vera. We'll see you guys next week for more Kickabout. Take care.